Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. If you want to read along in the Pew Bible, you can turn to page 1206 so you can read along. I want to thank Pastor John and Pastor Mike for filling in the last two weeks while I've been out gallivanting around. And so um, I heard they did a fantastic job. So next time that they preach, we don't have to be so surprised. And, and also that I should take more vacations so they can preach more. Right? Yeah. Okay. We're good with it. Yeah. We got it. Sure. The last group said no. So I like your answer better. Our scripture today, again, is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And there it's written, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So it was on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed. That's where we begin when we come to the communion table. We begin by telling the story of the Passover feast that Jesus and his disciples were there to celebrate. The Passover feast that, that as they celebrated, told the story of the salvation of the Jews from Egypt as they were under Pharaoh's rule, and and God delivered them from Egypt and protected them from death by his very blood of the Lamb. So they gather at this meal, and, and they recount and recall the story of their salvation. But on this night, on this meal that Jesus was to be betrayed that evening, Judas would get up and leave. Jesus would dismiss him from the table. And we don't know what Judas was thinking or feeling as he rushed out of the room and his feet plodded along the stone streets as he went to go turn Jesus over. But we do know what he ended up doing. He ended up selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And all while that's happening, All while Judas is off selling Jesus for some silver, Jesus took time to connect his suffering with his glory. He lifted his eyes to the heavens 
And he said in John 17, verse 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Jesus himself knew that eternal glory would only come through the suffering on the cross that he would have to endure. And so when suffering happened, Jesus was not surprised. He was not ashamed. And in fact, he embraced it. Our Lord and Savior, the King of all kings, the Son of God, the only one spotless, blameless, and perfect, was not surprised by the cross. And he did not despise it, but he embraced the suffering he endured upon it. Undeserved suffering. The suffering we deserve, he took on gladly, joyfully, for our salvation. And because of this, it leads Peter to write these words, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it happens to you, but rejoice. I mean, wait, hold on. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when some stranger were to happen to you, but rejoice. Oh, he does say, but rejoice. Um, I mean, it seems like it's strange that not to be surprised at suffering and then to also have to rejoice in it as if maybe Peter's confused at what he's talking about. Maybe Peter doesn't quite understand that you're not supposed to rejoice in suffering, but you're supposed to, you know, wallow in it a bit, find some pity from some other people, go get some people to, you know, be like, oh man, yeah, that is, that is pretty bad. I can, I can see you've got it. You've got it a lot worse than I do. That's, that's for sure. Right. Right? Because misery loves company, right? We don't want to be we don't want to be alone, do we? So we want to go and find others. But that's not what Peter says. He says, Don't be surprised by the sufferings, but re instead rejoice in it. And I can wrap my head around the fact that we're not to be surprised by the suffering. I mean, Jesus gave us this warning. Jesus tells us this. Paul the apostle tells us this. Peter tells us this. I mean, not once have we been told that if we put our faith in Christ. We will have all the health and wealth and prosperity we could ever want, and our lives would be perfect from that day forward. In fact, that's not what we're told at all. We're told our eternal life is secure, but our present living, the rest of our days here, well, we're to expect suffering for Jesus' sake. Because the truth of God found in Jesus Christ is antithetical to everything in this world. This world says, you can do it all by yourself. And God says, you can't do it without me. The world says, you be you and do it however you want. And God says, no, there is a way to holiness and it is a way through Jesus and Jesus alone. So you're going to suffer. Don't be surprised by it. Not only don't be surprised, but rejoice when you do. Peter calls us as we're set apart, as, as we're exiles in this land, to expect suffering and to rejoice in it. And, and it makes for an odd couple, a strange combination. And yet, this is exactly what our Savior did. You see, this is the way of Christ. He wasn't surprised by his suffering. 
the dead rejoicing. Now, Peter lays out some qualifiers on this suffering before he gets too deep into it. First, he says, the suffering can't be because of your sin. If you're suffering because of your sin, you're not suffering with Christ, right? So, so if, if you're suffering because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or even a meddler, right? Someone who likes to dabble in other people's business, someone who likes to meddle and, and, and cause and stir problems, right? Like, you don't necessarily have the chaos in your life, but you can't live it well unless other people have chaos going on in their life, right? A, a meddler a, a bit. He, he says, then you're not suffering and sharing in the suffering with Christ. But he writes, yet if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. I mean, the two are completely different. He says, if, if you're suffering because you're in your own sin, because you're rebelling against God, what, God's ways, guess what? kind of brought it on yourself, kind of earned this one. But if you're suffering and are insulted for the name of Christ, you're not suffering at all. You, you're blessed. It, it's this kind of different thinking that, that Jesus had that Peter is writing here. But maybe that hasn't happened to you yet. Maybe you haven't been insulted personally in the name of Je for the name of Jesus Christ, for having faith in him. Maybe as a group we've been insulted. We, we can be offended from afar or offended in secret. But maybe personally that hasn't happened to you. Maybe you haven't personally been insulted for various reasons. Maybe it's because the world around you can't tell the difference between you and them because you look more like them than you do Christ. Or maybe you haven't been insulted for your faith or your beliefs because no one knows what you stand for. See, we like to do this thing in America where we say it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it never is meant to be a secret relationship with Jesus Christ. We're to be in the world and not of the world, yet when we're in the world, we're not to shine our light or the world's light. We're to shine the light of Christ. And as the world continues to be less friendly, more hostile to believers, it's of more importance that each day we have more courage to share our faith and our beliefs. But you know, this is true, that Satan would love for you to keep it to yourself. He would love nothing more than for you to keep your faith to yourself. He would love nothing more than for your prayer life to solely exist for when you come to church. He would love nothing more than for you to read his word, the, the truth here found in scripture, than to only read it when the pastor reads it to you on a Sunday morning. Right? I mean... To be considered a Bible user in the United States of America in 2023 means that you only have to pick up and read your Bible at least three times per year. Satan loves nothing more than this because, because if you keep it to yourself, if you're not reading the Word, if you're not praying, if you're not engaging, then your light becomes a lot 
dimmer in this dark world and Satan can continue to perpetrate his lies and deceive everyone else from the truth. You see, Peter knows he's writing to Christians that aren't living in Christian-friendly environments or places. He's writing to exiles and sojourners. Yet still, he calls them to have courage for Christ. To have the willingness to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ, knowing suffering will come their way. Knowing that suffering will come your way. And yet still he writes in verse 16, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, and it's, this is one of the few places where we actually get named as Christians here in Scripture, yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I mean, it's easy to say. It's harder to do. Recently, Oklahoma University women's softball team won the College World Series for the third year in a row, six out of the last eight years. An incredibly dominant run, one that only Alabama football has ever seen. Right? And, and so before they played Florida State, in the World Series, there was this interview. It's about three and a half minutes long. They get asked this question. The coach is there, Coach Gass is there, Grace Lyons, the senior captain, and two other players, all Americans, are sitting there next to her. And they get asked the question, you know, how is it that during this win streak, because I think they ended up with a 54, 55 game win streak, how is it that during this win streak, during this season, trying to go back to back to back, have you been able to keep what looks like this happiness, this this joy, this excitement, when plays don't go your way, when you strike out, when the season's such an up and down, how are you able to still play with such happiness? Grace Lyons, the captain, she answers first. She takes the mic and answers. And she says, well, happiness, you see, is based off circumstances and perception. She goes, but the joy we have comes from the Lord. This is on national media. She says it comes from the Lord. And, and she doesn't just leave it there, though. Together with her teammates and her coach, they spend the next three and a half minutes giving glory to Jesus Christ for the joy they have. That above all, that more than being softball players, it's the joy of the Lord that carries them through. More than being a dominant team and elite and really good at softball, more important than that is that they know Jesus Christ. One of the girls sitting next to her tells the story of, of the previous year she was a freshman and they win the World Series and she feels great and wonderful. They, they're on top of the world and then the next day comes and the next week and she still feels empty. And yet she goes to her teammates and they tell her about Jesus Christ and a joy that doesn't fade. So what does she do? She takes that time and that moment right there in that interview to tell us that. Grace Lyons, the captain, would go on to give a farewell after winning the College World Series. And she would use that time to say that I'm not a softball player. I'm not an Oklahoma Sooner. I'm more than that. I'm a child of God because of Jesus Christ. That the things that she celebrated the most that mean more to her than any championship or award are teammates coming to faith in Jesus Christ and watching them get baptized. 
I know we live here in Florida, and, and we went through Tim Tebow a couple decades ago, and it's always inspiring and remarkable to watch someone take such courage with their faith. To say it so blatantly. We know that with it, though, suffering will come. Name-calling insults will come their way. But Jesus says, rejoice. Rejoice because you're suffering for me. Rejoice because when we suffer for his name's sake, he's glorified. So Peter tells us, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed that you suffer for Christ. Do not be ashamed that you have faith in Christ. I mean, Peter at one time was ashamed of Jesus. That very night that Jesus was betrayed that we began talking about at the very beginning of this, they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane and there Jesus would be arrested. Peter would end up following behind in the shadows to see and as Jesus is being questioned behind the doors, and Peter is hanging about, someone recognizes him and says, oh, aren't you one of those disciples and hanging out with Jesus? And he goes, not me, I've never even seen the guy. And then he gets questioned two more times and he denies Jesus two more times, each time more becoming more and more angry and indignant, saying, I don't even know that man. Ashamed to even have a claim that he was associated with him. So how is it Peter then has the gall to tell you and I not to be ashamed of Jesus? How can Peter be such an authority on what it's like to be ashamed of Jesus? Then all this, and then because here he writes, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Essentially, he's asking if we aren't courageously sharing the gospel as commanded and making disciples as commissioned, then what's the outcome? Peter knows. Peter was ashamed of Jesus, not once, but three times, called out by him. And he regretted it. As soon as the cock crew, third time in the morning, and then the day of Pentecost comes. And the courage he was missing was delivered in the form of the Holy Spirit to himself, the other disciples, all of Jerusalem and all of the world. And Peter rushed outside onto the streets and began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of him crucified and resurrected. Thousands of people came to faith in that very sermon. And those very days that followed, Peter and the other apostles continued to preach Christ, him crucified and him resurrected. And Peter would wind up in front of the very council that was questioning Jesus, that sentenced Jesus to death. And when told that he should quit all this nonsense, stop telling about Jesus being resurrected, he simply replied, can only do what God commands me to do. And so he'd be called in a second time because he didn't quit preaching about Jesus. 
he had the courage and was no longer ashamed of him. And this time, as he and the Apostle John are called in, they're told in no uncertain terms that this will result in the loss of their life if they continue. And they boldly continued to preach Christ. They were not surprised by the suffering that would come their way. For they know that the suffering for Christ and for the gospel is the call of the Christian. Folks, I'm not telling you that you should go and manufacture up some suffering in your life, that you should go and begin causing controversies so that you can suffer and wear it like a badge. But rather, I'm encouraging you to take bold stands in your faith for the truth of Christ. For Grace Lions had every opportunity to say, you know, we just take it one game at a time, next pitch, next batter up. We make mistakes, but we just tell each other, oh, you've got this next one. She had every opportunity to give the cliche answer. Instead, she took a bold stand for the truth, a bold stand for Jesus. It just so happens that today's scripture lines up with a vote we will take as a congregation as to whether remain in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ denomination or not. I can tell you this. I was born at, in Plainview, Texas, and was dedicated at First Christian Church Disciples of Christ in Plainview, Texas as a baby. I then would be baptized in that church after, after getting through pastor's class for the second time. I would go on to seminary and to serving churches as youth pastor, student pastor, and lead pastor. I've got family that's still part of the denomination. I've got friends still reside in it. But I can tell you with absolute certainty that this denomination has lost its courage. It's lost its courage to stay true to the Word of God. And it isn't easy to say that. It's hard to leave things. It's hard to try and take a stand for when you know it's right. And maybe that's what caused a delay in all these years for me coming forward and doing so. But I believe now is the time for us to be unashamed of Jesus to be unashamed of the truth, to be unashamed of the gospel, and to declare it publicly. You know, as well as I do, that it's easy to do nothing. It's easy to kick the can down the road. It's easy not to say anything out loud, but to keep it in our heads and keep it to ourselves. It's easy not to make public statements because we were taught at one time, once you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't ever get it back in. So we tend to be a bit cautious. It's easy, mainly, because we don't see the cost with taking the easy way. Only the benefit. And the benefit is that we don't have to endure the suffering we know that comes with going the hard way. You see, it's hard to do something. It's hard to be bold and courageous in your faith, especially in a world that's less and less friendly 
for you doing so. That every chance you get to be bold and courageous for your faith is quickly marked with mocking and insults. It's hard because we can see the cost. We're not surprised when suffering comes our way for taking such a bold stand. But brothers and sisters, if we don't stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, if we don't stand for the truth of Jesus Christ as pastors, as elders, as Christians, well then we might as well cease to meet altogether. Because our worship cannot just be pretending or acting like our faith matters to us. It can't just be lip service to saying God is so important and we believe in the truth of Jesus Christ. It has to be more than that. It must be more. For following Jesus will require us to admit that yes, we are following him and to speak the truth when lies are told about him. You see, Scripture tells us you were all fearfully and wonderfully made. And specifically that you were made for now. For this day, for this moment, for this time. For I believe that it is a great time to be a Christian. Not an easy one, but an exciting time. Trust in the Lord and never be ashamed. Amen?